we are very excited to have you all here with us uh, this evening um, at our seventh annual or semi-annual uh, Tennessee World Affairs Council International Career Panel. Um, I have an esteemed lineup of women uh, who have international careers here with me this evening. Um, so I'd like to um, for them to go ahead, turn on their cameras so that you can see uh, their faces um, and the faces that you'll be hearing from uh, this evening, right? Um, let, before I proceed to um, introduce our panelists, I first wanna introduce the Tennessee World Affairs Council, um, the organization that is sponsoring tonight's event. Uh, the Tennessee World Affairs Council is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization in uh, Tennessee, it is dedicated to increasing global awareness. It does this through from high schoolers all the way to retirees. And tonight's event, um, though traditionally focused on students, is open to everyone, including young professionals, anyone who is interested in looking at and hearing more about international careers. We are also incredibly honored and excited um, to have tonight a, an all-female panel for the first time. Um, this is also the first time that we are going to be doing this event on Zoom. Um, so if you have a little bit of grace with us as we uh, work out uh, the technical issues, that would be wonderful. Although we do have um, expert technicians at the helm. Um, one of the things that I just want to make everyone aware of is how um, this evening is going to be structured. Right? It's a little bit different than how we've done things previously in regards to in-person panels. So the way that this panel is going to be structured is from 5.30 to 6.30, I am going to be moderating or asking um, a series of questions to our panelists. Right, Many of these questions will be focused um, from the perspective of a student or a young professional looking forward into their future, wanting to know what kind of advice someone might offer and et cetera, right? Um, in addition to that, um, that'll be from 5.30 to 6.30. After 6.30, um, we will be breaking out into Zoom breakout rooms. Now, Zoom, Zoom breakout rooms are gonna be, we'll give you some technical instructions on that at 6.30, but that is gonna allow you an opportunity to kind of have virtual FaceTime with each of our individual panelists that will allow you to make a connection to those panelists, as well as perhaps ask individual questions, okay? Um, now, with that said, I want to go ahead and introduce our panelists. First off, um, let me say that all of them have incredibly impressive resumes and impressive, incredibly in, impressive um, bios. And you can read those full bios on the event website at uh, tnwac.org, right? Um, but I'm gonna provide just a small brief overview and provide you um, with some highlights. And I'm actually gonna go in order of the, um, the way that I'm going to be calling on questions for our panelists. So I'm going to begin um, with Francine who uh, here on screen, she is currently uh, serving as a humanitarian assistant advisor to the military with USAID um, and specifically USAID's Bureau for Humanitarian Assistance. Um, she advises on special issues um, 
of shared concern, including displacement and the provision of humanitarian aid during conflict-related and natural disasters. Um, prior to her position with USAID, um, Francine served with uh, Save the Children as the Director of Media Relations. And prior to that, she was with the International Security Assistance Force. And then prior to that, she had um, a career in journalism uh, with a stint there at the Washington Post. So. Francine brings to our panel um, a wide array of experiences um, from humanitarian assistance all the way to journalism. And I believe she's uh, abroad currently. That's one of the things I'm gonna ask all of our panelists to do is tell us where in the world they currently are, um, which will be kind of impressive because they're in a lot of different time zones currently at the moment. Um, after Francine, we have um, Daniela and Daniela is here and uh, she is, the she's served as a policy leader fellow at the school of transnational government at the european university institute in florence italy she was an eisenhower fellow and carnegie new leader in 2019 she is a former venezuelan diplomat um she also and i failed to mention this for francine but i always uh interests our college students the degrees that each of you received um daniela holds a uh, bachelor's degree in political science a master's degree in history of the americas and a master's degree in careers in international organizations. So I know many of our students are kind of interested in the educational path of different individuals and different kind of agrees, degrees that are available. Um, next up, we have Lindsay Rodman, and she is the executive director of LCWINS. She begins her, she began her career rather as an associate for Arnold and Porter. She then joined the Marine Corps right uh, there. She served as a judge advocate for eight years on active duty. Um, when she was a part of the reserves, uh, Lindsay became a political appointee in the Pentagon. Uh, there she served first as special assistant to the Under Secretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, and then as senior advisor for international humanitarian policy in the office of the Under Secretary of Defense Policy. Right. Um, she was also selected on the Council of Foreign Relations Inaugural International Affairs Fellow in Canada, where she did live for two years. She's a graduate of Harvard Law School, uh, the Kennedy School, and Duke University. And again, I'm sure our panelists can go uh, further in detail on their um, educational achievements should um, our audience be interested in that. Um, next up, we have Nancy Youssef, and she is currently the Chief Business Development Officer for Souls for Souls, and that is a nonprofit here in Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to that, she served as a Senior Vice President for International Business for the um, Destination XL, which is a specialty real retailer of big and tall's men's apparent apparel. Um, she earned her bachelor's degree in marketing, and then she also completed a diploma in international fashion design. Um, and she also became fluent in her fifth language, and that's another kind of theme that I'm sure you will see here tonight um, that people likely ask, which is how many languages each of our panelists um, knows, and that's usually quite impressive as well. And last but not least, we have Amanda Nahr, and she is a very recent 
transplant to Nashville. So welcome to Nashville, Amanda. Uh, she's currently serving as the global account manager at Forrester Research here in Nashville. And prior to that, she led the Western Hemisphere uh, for the Business Council for International Understanding. She received her master's degree from the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, earned her bachelor's degree in political science and international relations um, from Washington and Jefferson College. So uh, this is where I would ask you to please join me uh, in giving a round of applause for our panelists. Um, but I realize you can do so uh, at your leisure there at home, right? Um, so one of the things that I do want to ask our panelists, it's a very softball question that I know isn't on your uh, run of show, but first, just to tell everybody, where are you right now in the globe? So Francine, we'll start with you. Yeah, good evening, everyone. I am actually joining from Budapest, Hungary. Um, so six hours ahead of Eastern time, and I'm working on our um, Lebanon response from here. So good to be with you all. And thanks to the Tennessee World Affairs Council and uh, Professor Haynes for the introduction as well. Great, Daniela. Hello, everyone. I am in Mexico City. Thank you for having me, Susan. Of course. Lindsay? Hi, guys. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Nice to see you. Hey, Nancy? Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> Great. You can see the, the beautiful weather that we've had today there. And I'm Amanda. also in Nashville. Okay, great. Although not not with the fortune to being outside currently, right? <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, thank you guys for that. It just I feel like it really does behoove everyone to see um, exactly where you are in the world um, and where your your profession takes you, right? Okay, let me go ahead here, and I am going to pull up our question notes because this is an older version here. Okay. Let's see. I don't want to surprise anybody with the questions. Okay, so, yep. Uh, first off, let me ask you this. We have a lot of attendees here who um, are presently in college and or uh, recently graduated from college. And they're looking at you and they're seeing these careers or they're reading about these careers that seem very, very exciting. Um, and I'm curious for you all, how many of you all um, anticipated where you are now, right? How many of you planned for where you are currently in your profession? And Francine, I'll, I'll let that question be with you first. Sure. Well, I guess as my location um, kind of shows you because my bio was a little outdated even in the last few weeks. I didn't really anticipate where I'd be 10 to 15 months ago, uh, although I'm probably speaking for many of us this year when I say that, uh, so that could apply more broadly. Um, I would have told you that I would be working in journalism, right? So that was the first profession I started in and I loved it and you know I intended to continue with that. I think what I take away though from this is that um, really the constant theme for me, despite different jobs and even different professional lines, is, is the love for things that are international, right? So I think in looking ahead, if you know what you are excited by, it's the big questions and the little questions, right? And if the big question is you wanna work in the international realm, there are different jobs, there are different professions, there are different skills. I think what I found along the way was I took turns or, or exits really that I didn't anticipate. Um, when I was at the juncture that many in the audience are now in terms of being a young professional or a student, I had never even heard of my current employer. 
to be frank with you, right? So as you get experiences, you discover there are jobs and descriptions that you didn't anticipate. So, you know, what I would say is, is really differentiate between the big questions and the little questions. And for me, the constant was always wanting to be in a global setting. And then the jobs and the opportunities fit within that uh, framework. And I'll, I'll, I guess, kick it over to Danielle. I know she's next to answer this question on the panel. Thank you, Francine. Well, in my case, I always had a dream to be a diplomat. That is why I started to study political science in my home country. And I was lucky. 15 years ago, I was uh, working at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in a very young age. So 10 years ago, I was thinking about being a diplomat. I was, but right now I never plan to be a migrant. Always I, I plan to travel a lot and I did and to be living abroad, but not as a migrant. So, but it has been an interesting journey because I have been developed a lot of things as a consultant. So I, yes, I use my former experience as a diplomat and now I had to reinvent myself in another country with a new context. And well, uh, it's like Francine, Francine said, it's like to, I'm very lucky to be working in the same field. So well, about the question, I never dream or plan to be traveling uh, as a migrant. I was planning to be a diplomat, but the context in my country changed. And now I discover a new way to do the things. So that is my, the new way. So the next one is- uh... Lindsay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha, thank you, Danielle. Uh, yeah, so uh, I know we're gonna do work-life balance in a little bit. I do have a little bit of a screaming baby situation on my hands, so I just apologize for that. Um, and we're just gonna roll with it and we'll make it a part of what I talk about later. <laughs> um, but for the question at hand, um, so similarly, I think to um, at least Francine and Daniela, I knew that I had a passion for working internationally. And that was something that um, I, like that was, I don't know, I don't remember a time that I wasn't committed to that um, in terms of just like really early on in my life. Um, and, but over time, like what did that mean and how, how would it manifest? I, it changed over time. So I thought initially, um, and I think as um, Francine mentioned, it changed because I started to learn what different opportunities were. So as a younger person, all I knew was in the movies. So I figured I would be like basically Jennifer, alias, Jennifer Garner and Alias because like that sounded cool and it was international. And I assumed that like maybe I could find a job that was a little bit like that, um, which of course is like not a real thing. Um, but it attracted me to working internationally, right? I mean, the fact that I ended up in the Marine Corps, probably not surprising once you know that I was attracted to like that kind of a style of job, right? Um, and um, for me personally, I uh, a lot of people do have influences from the military early on in their lives, but I did not. I didn't have anyone in my life who was at all associated with the military until graduate school. And that is why I ended up joining the military after graduate school, because it was one of those things where like that felt like a good fit for what I wanted, but I wasn't exposed to it until later in life. And I think that's analogous to a lot of other experiences that people might have. 
Um, so I would not, so I remember sitting on these panels when I was in college and graduate school. And the most annoying answer was, um, I got here through pure serendipity and I didn't plan for it at all. And the perfect person made the perfect phone call at precisely the right time. And I just got lucky and I have no idea how to tell you how to plan for things because that's not actionable. There's nothing you can do with that information except hope for luck. Um, and so I don't, I don't wanna make that my story. I couldn't have predicted where I am right now but I did always chase things that I had a passion for. And so I think if you told me 15, 15 years ago, I was already out of college, but um, if you told me even longer ago than that, um, where I was today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to predict it. I probably wouldn't have like pulled the bingo card on that one, but I think um, I'd be okay with it. Like, I think it'd be like, oh, okay. Like that sort of fits with some of the stuff that I know that I'm interested in. And that seems like an interesting step and, you know, I'm excited to find out what I do five, 10 years, 15 years from now. Um, so yeah. Um, and I think after me is Nancy. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, all right. So much for saying it was serendipitous. It wasn't, I guess. So, <laughs> um, no, I, my career was interesting. I mean, not dissimilar. So growing up naturally, uh, international was a big part of my life. Uh, my background is my parents are immigrants to the U.S., but we ended up moving when I was six months old. And so grew up in Europe, grew up in the Middle East, grew up in Asia. And um, always in the back of my mind, I was going to continue that trajectory of international. Um, it took a little bit of a windy road. I actually started as an investment banker who wanted to be a retailer. No one wanted to hire a finance girl in a merchandising role. And so I had to the pivot, which is how I ended up in design school. And so finally somebody hired me to do something that was fun in the retail world. And I ended up on the international side of retail for most of the time. Had you asked me 10 or 15 years ago, was I gonna end up in an NGO role on the international side? Maybe, but in all honesty, probably not at this age. I thought maybe like 20 years from now on the retirement cycle, certainly not in this in this phase, but it's, it's phenomenal. But always, I think the common thread certainly was international for sure. Great. Amanda. Yeah, I guess I'm up. So uh, I'd echo a lot of what everyone has already said. I had an opposite experience though. Growing up, international wasn't really in my thread. I actually, uh, I don't, I'm from a small town and I didn't even travel abroad until I was 18. And I think that that actually uh, spurred curiosity. And I've heard that from a few of my cohorts as well. They grew up in middle America or somewhere. I was from Pennsylvania and I was just always very curious about other cultures. And I think that that fed my interest. And 10, 15 years ago, I didn't know any of the careers that I've had existed. I, I, I thought that it was like, you know, you go on an ambassador track or you, I had no idea that there's such a breadth to this world. And so I'd say something that really helped is actually not only following opportunities, even if you're not sure of where they might lead you and just taking um, different opportunities as they come, but also closing doors once something isn't a good fit. Like Francine, I, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a strong writer. It's not one of my passions. And so shutting that door when I realized that that wasn't a good fit for me and then being able to angle myself in a different direction and pivot has always been helpful when uh, steering my career. Great. Thank you, um, Amanda. And thank you, panelists, for those uh, great answers. I think that 
what that shows is a is a really um, large variety uh, from those who have that international thread to you, Amanda, who didn't. And so hopefully all of those who are in our audience can see themselves perhaps in um, some of you um, uh, or in one of you at least. And, and Lindsay, you kind of stole my thunder here, but you're exactly, you saw where I was going with these questions because if I just say, how did you get where you are? Um, the serendipitous answer is something that comes across all the time in these panels. So I have to combat it somehow. Um, so the next question is just to push you guys just a little bit further, right? Um, to ask um, in what ways can people plan? Right, so they the people who are in our audience they probably vary in their age and in their experience, but something is interesting them um, about an international career. Something is of interest. That's why they're here tonight. And so, what advice can you give to those who are just starting their career, about to start their career, wanting to switch careers? How can they plan? So, Francine, I'll I'll have you up first. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think I would, I would answer that in two parts. You know, the first is if there is a specific skill that you know that you will need, right? Um, getting a law degree is easier, you know, two, 20 years earlier than to, to decide that midway through your career. So, um, you know, obviously you want your doctors and lawyers to have gone to medical and law school. I can't speak to that as well. I majored in history, so I finished my education, frankly, with no quantifiable skills whatsoever. So I'll get to the second part of it, which is the more broad uh, thing you can you can uh, do, and that is go. With the asterisk, don't go right now because I don't want to give bad uh, pandemic advice. But I think that no matter which of the professions, the things you're already hearing from all of us as panelists is that international experience. And it doesn't matter which job function you are applying for. I've looked at a lot of resumes and applicants, um, you know, for jobs in various roles I've had. And the thing that stands out is, you know, you studied abroad for a semester and, and not to generalize, but sometimes that can be easier during your educational years than it is later in your career. So to go and to, to do an internship, which I know we'll talk about, um, learn a language. I'll be very frank with you. This has held me back um, is the fact that, you know, my business fluency in a second language is lacking. If I could go back in time, I would take the opportunity to go abroad, spend a year you know, at school and get one and have it to be really at a level of fluency that you can put that on a job application. Those skills will help you no matter which way you branch out and the many directions that you can take these careers. One thing that any, anybody can do if they have even a vague interest in an international career to say nothing of the life experience is use this time or you know, sometime in the hopefully near future when it's a little safer to go abroad, to go everywhere, you know, go to different continents. There's people who had no experience in a certain region who went and studied and fell in love with it, learned the language, and 10, 15 years later, they're a specialist. And I think you know, our moderator can attest to that as well, right? So that's my main piece of advice that will stand you in good stead no matter what uh, path you choose later on. And over to you, Daniela. Yeah, well, from a psychological perspective, I, I can say, be prepared to deal uncertainty and develop resilience, no matter the field. You have to be prepared to deal with uncertainty. Also, from a more technical perspective, uh, if you are interested in international affairs, you have to be very well informed. So you have to read a lot and I advise you, you have to write a lot. 
to develop how to make your point to others. And well, uh, languages. I am not the best example because of my accent, but I just started by doing the, the easiest, Portuguese, Italian, French, and the last for me was English. I could, if I go back, I, I could change that in my case. But yeah, languages and information, you have to read a lot. Networking is crucial. You have to be very informed and to make dots connected. And well, it's, it's about that. Apply for fellowships, internships, and scholarships. So, Lindsay. Thank yeah, you. no worries. Um, Great, thank you. Um, so I, uh, I would say that first, my first piece of advice is chase your passions. So if you are interested in um, a thing and you can't articulate why, but like it's exciting to you, figure out how to chase your passions. Um, because I can't predict for you what the world will need, but the world needs one of, at least one of everything. Um, so there, there isn't a field if it interests you that won't need an expert or someone who's great in it. So, um, so do that. The other thing is to do whatever you do well. Um, so don't, so, you know, think about as you're selecting, you know, what jobs you think you want, challenge yourself for sure. Try to stretch yourself, but also apply yourself and do well. Because I think one thing, you know, the serendipity story is, is, is annoying to me, like, as I mentioned earlier. But usually that story is, it follows a very specific pattern, which is I had done well for someone previously in my career, and then that paid benefits later in a way that I never could have anticipated or predicted. And that's, I mean, that's 98% of the serendipity story. And the only way that you can do that without being like, uh, you, know, you can't plan for that. You just have to perform, you have to put your bloom where you're planted, right? Like work really hard where you are, perform well for the people who you work with. There's that idea of like never burning bridges, but, um, but it's more than that. It's, it's bringing yourself to bear with whatever tasks you're given um, and thinking about it as investing in your future, as well as hopefully just having fun. And that's why you should chase your passions because you will do that. You will do that happily if you're doing what you want to be doing. Um, and so sometimes it's hard because, and sometimes you have to tell yourself a story, right? Like I might be doing, you know, not fun work, but in an environment that I'm really excited about. So try to get out of that experience, what you can, um, and chase things that interest you. Um, in terms of languages, I, I totally, you know, third and fourth that, um, I was very lucky that, um, I had a second language at home because my mom's from Chile and I had, um, Portuguese from my cousins. Uh, who lived in Brazil, long Pinochet-related story. Um, but uh, but in general, I took that for granted. And my Spanish is nowhere near what it could be. It's fine, it's okay, but it's not as good as it could be. And now that I have children, I like wish that I had a level of fluency that I could just very easily pass on to them, but I don't. And um, so if you've if you're at that stage where it's really easy to just invest in like getting that language to the next level, the way that Francine said it, I totally um, second that as well. And um, let me let me stop there. But uh, but those are those are a couple of thoughts. Thank you. So I think um, planning is 
It's interesting. I mean, I, you know, some of the folks have talked about experiences and building on the experience that you've had in your work or in your capacity, wherever you are, even in your education. And I think um, a lot of people go into the space of international and, and sort of assume that, great, I'm going to have my first job. I'm going to travel all over the world. It's going to be this exotic and exciting experience. And, and I think there is a bit of plan you know, I think learn people, learn culture, um, really expose yourself, even if you've never been anywhere and you can't go anywhere, right? We're in the COVID situation, but there are organizations around you like this one that has sponsored this event, right? Or there are people around you that you can network with and just learn about experiences, open up to opportunities. I think the more you have an open heart and an open mind about cultures and people, the more exposure you'll have, and then you can intertwine what you're actually learning, whether it's in academics or a job on the job, all experiences are translatable, but it's really just opening yourself up to those cultures and languages if you can, right? I'm like everybody else, big language proponent. I have two boys and I'm, you know, we only speak a certain language at home and I'm, I'm pretty ardent about that. But if, if you are able to do that, that's amazing. And I think it just opens you up further to grow. echo a lot of what people are already saying. I think that the first step in planning is doing what you all are doing by attending events like these. I think that um, just educating yourself on, on different fields, having those informational interviews and soaking up as much information as you can is extremely helpful. I think that there's a lot of pressure, especially during a pandemic to say like, okay, find your passion or know what your passion is specifically. Um, maybe you, there's a certain region of the world that really speaks out to you. Maybe it's a, there's a certain sector, maybe you're really into energy or healthcare and you know that and you can kind of build upon that and become an expert. If you don't, ask those questions, ask people, research as much as you can about it and be able to focus your energy somewhere else if that's not where your interest lies. I think, um, I would also say not to steer away from, from STEM. I think that it's it's very important. My, my research background, being able to do a statistical analysis has helped differentiate myself. I, I'll, I'll be honest, this is, this is a tough field. It's a very competitive field. A lot of people speak um, multiple languages. A lot of people have advanced degrees. So if you can bring something to an organization that maybe someone can't, especially while you're picking uh, courses in college, yeah, try to try to look into maybe a harder, more quantifiable skill, and that can really differentiate you against the crowd. And obviously, languages. Um, as far as yeah, as far as planning in general, I think that being open, but always having a focus on on the end goal, and maybe that's just what makes sense to you, what deep in your heart, if, you're, if your passion, if your mission is to help others or educate others, just having that in mind and then every opportunity you have thinking, is that gonna help in the long term to my, my mission in my life? And if it does, take the opportunity and learn from it. Thank you, Amanda. Um, I'll also just kind of build off of that, which is, as Amanda said, like, don't fear something like STEM, don't be intimidated. I, I would also say, don't be intimidated by language because that can be intimidating. 
um, if you didn't grow up with another language in the home or whatever have you. Um, and also don't write it off. This is just from my perspective. Don't write it off if you if one doesn't click, another one very well might um, because they can be really, really different. Like some are very similar. For me, I cannot do Spanish. I don't know why, but Chinese clicks. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it does in my brain um, because Chinese is just easier. So I would just say that, you know, play with it and see which one you might, uh, I mean, might, uh, you might gravitate towards or your brain might just be better suited for. Um, in addition to everyone mentioning language on the panel, um, there were several um, questions in regards to internships, but first I want to make a point because I forgot to do this at the very beginning. If you have a question um, and you are among our audience, um, we don't have a Q&A feature here, but we do have the chat box. So if you want to put your question to everyone in the chat box, I will read that and I will either um, consolidate certain questions for our Q&A period, or if it's appropriate, I will um, mention that question or ask that question during our conversation here. So I wanna let everybody know that that option is available to you. Um, and, and you can go ahead and type as you feel free. Um, and, and with that said, I'm gonna keep kind of going through these questions, which is everybody mentioned internships. Um, and this is usually the very first question that students ask. Um, Things look different with COVID-19, uh, we all know that, um, but I still wanna see if any of you um, have particular opportunities that you might wanna highlight, like internship opportunities offered by your particular organization, or perhaps you know of an organization that is offering internships right now um, that students can look into. And Francine, I'll start with you. Sure, yeah. So. Um, you know, USAID does have them, and I was looking through, and, and you know, anyone in the audience can as well on the website. Um, you know, the good news is it's a little bit of a longer lead time, um, so I think that's something that certainly people can can apply for. I would also, you know, encourage people to look at some of the smaller organizations, um, whether they're field-based or, you know, domestic or abroad. I think, you know, working in this environment, there is that opportunity to maybe dig into things that wouldn't be as easily accessible. Um, I found that sometimes interns that are working in a smaller office or a more field-based thing are able to, to get much more involved. Um, and I would say too that, uh, you know, some of the other uh, panelists have mentioned this, but for, for internship, whether it's during the pandemic or in general, it is also an opportunity to explore. So don't pigeonhole yourself and say, this is a notch whereby, you know, I will show someone in the future that I'm qualified to do this exact Thing. I think, you know, resumes are as much an art as a science. And so if you think you might be interested in STEM or you think maybe for you Chinese would come naturally, use an internship to try those out, um, you know, and, and know that there's experiences that will still benefit you and teach you something, even if they're not necessarily going to lead to a job with that specific organization. Um, you know, I remember interning um, in marketing my first year of college, um, I had a great time. It was a radio station and I did not go to marketing after that, but it still kind of helped me understand different facets of communication and what was out there. So certainly USAID does, um, but I would just uh, put in a plug for some of the places where uh, you'll maybe be able to do more, particularly since we're in a remote environment for the time being. And over to you, Daniela. Yes, well, I am part of Magnolia Foundation is an NGO who is based in Princeton 
in the US, but also in Colombia. Uh, the objective is to help uh, vulnerable people uh, who have been affected by the conflict in Colombia. And yeah, we have open doors to receive in terms. If you are interested, I will share with you our web page and you can visit us and we can discuss an internship. Yes. Oh, um, I'll go. So uh, LC1 takes one fellow each semester. We have our fellow for this semester. We'll put up applications for next semester and you can check our website for that. Um, and if uh, I know we're going to do breakouts later, so more broadly in the national security sphere, if you want to talk through what entry level employment looks like and what internship opportunities there might be, I'm happy to do it then. Um, we at Souls for Souls always have internships, particularly on the international side in our micro enterprise programs. Uh, but I was all, I would also encourage you all. Um, if there isn't an internship posted, look for an HR person, email them, ask them if there's opportunity or create one. My very first internship, um, when I was in college, I was on an accounting track. I wanted to live in the Middle East. My family was from Egypt and wanted to spend a couple months there. I contacted, I knew they were opening a new office out of Cairo, contacted uh, PwC, uh, an accounting firm, emailed them and said, hey, I'd love to do an internship here. They said, we don't have such a thing. I said, okay, what if I create the program? And we created the program and I got my internship. So you can also create one. You never know what opportunities are out there if you wanna create something. I was gonna say the same thing, Nancy. I actually, uh, so yes, uh, Forrester has internships. Please feel free to contact me. Also my previous job, I set up an externship. I modeled it after the State Department. They actually offer externships for students that aren't able to locate to DC. I know that there, there's price variables. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why it's, it's hard to take a semester, take a summer and have something that's non-paid and uh, they've started to offer more programming that's that you can do remotely. And I think that we're gonna see even more of that um, after this pandemic. So I modeled that in my last employer to hire a few fellows um, to do work. And we came up with a schedule of what they were gonna uh, do on a, on a biweekly basis uh, from, from where they were living. So it was an, something that we were able to do virtually. Those exist in the US government. So I would encourage you to look into those. And also like Nancy, I, I've come up with my own. You have to uh, have a pretty, um, pretty thought out proposal because you need a champion within the organization to really back you when you're coming into that. But I've, I've made my own internships up with actually Lindsay, the government of Chile. So it's, it's very possible to uh, push it and make something happen yourself, especially if you're showing dedication. Thank you, Amanda. And I'm gonna pull from one of the questions um, that was posed uh, by Anna Albesco um, on our chat panel because it's related to this. And she's asking about work experience um, that is distinct from one's career aspirations or one's degree. And I would kind of probably segue that to like an internship that doesn't seem quite to fit. Um, how valuable do you all think that work experience is um, even if it doesn't seem to be congruent with uh, one's 
uh, degree or career aspirations and, and how, what did that look like for you all? Francine. Yeah, I think I'll start with that. I'm actually very in favor of that. I, you know, I kind of have a bias maybe personally towards um, trying out different fields and, and different experiences. You know, I mentioned the one in marketing. I think I'll put my hat on as somebody who's looked in on the hiring side of things. When people have a resume um, that, you know, sometimes just looks exactly like what it would be. And then you read their cover letter or essay questions and you kind of, it, pulls you the other way. And then there are other people where you read their resume and it's one for one and exactly what it is, but that doesn't convey into, you know, how would I parlay this experience into the new job? So I do think that um, any job that you do is teaching you something. Um, and there's a lot of things that transfer from one job to the next, whether it's how you built relationships. I think everybody would agree that in the international sphere, it's a really important skill. We're always trying to build some kind of bridge between organizations or, you know, working in different countries. So I think that, you know, don't shy away from those other experiences or feel that they're irrelevant. If you look through the job descriptions in the international realm, you know, as the panelists have said, right, they require flexibility, they require adaptability. That's true for so many jobs. And so, you know, like I said, this might be kind of my own personal bias. But don't pigeonhole, try something and you might find that there is something in that experience that will translate to a new job, whether it's ability to write, you know, ability to manage finance, to manage grants, um, you know, ability to cold call somebody, uh, you know, I mean, I, I there was a, a summer in college where I worked at Disneyland and it was honestly one of the hardest jobs I've ever had to do because I walked up to strangers all day and gave them surveys. But you know what, further on in my professional career, there's a lot of times where I've had to try to interview somebody or meet with somebody who was in a you know, vulnerable situation. And so there's more tie-in, I think, than, than we automatically think. So, so don't be afraid to be broad if it helps you find what you are interested in and focus on and prioritize as you go further in your career. Wow, quite interesting. Well, in my case, I'm going to answer in, a, in an opposite way because I, here in Mexico, as a migrant, I had to start from the scratch. So my experience as a diplomat doesn't fit too much. So was really interesting because I had to start as a volunteer. And it was amazing because this experience with an NGO here in Mexico as a volunteer helped me a lot to my new job with Magnolia. So I think and I discovered many of my own assets uh, as a public relations, for example. And you are going to develop that in any job. Is just try to translate the experience in your favor. It's about creativity, I don't know. So it's, it's quite interesting. You have to look for how to develop that to the, your dream job, to your dream job is about that. Yes. All right, I'll take it from here. Um, so I'm going to like say something and then totally contradict myself. So um, I think I totally agree with Francine. I um, early on, I knew that I wanted to do something international. I thought I might go to law school and I majored in math. And, um, and that is because, and I'm gonna sound like like Susan makes no sense to me when she's like Chinese is easier than Spanish. Um, but for me, math was easy and fun. 
Um, so I realized I sound crazy maybe to some other people. Um, but uh, but it was it was something I was just interested in. I wanted to pull the thread. I wanted to see what it would be what it was to be a math major. I, I wanted to just like go with that. Um, and and it was great. And I have never used it since and I miss it. Um, but I do think like it trained my brain in a slightly different way. It made me part of who I am. I have zero regrets. It's like a fun cocktail party fact about Lindsay that she was a math major. Um, and similarly, you know, certain internships or extracurricular activities or whatever in college have nothing to do with anything totally random, but just me chasing passions, chasing interests. And I think that's great. Um, so absolutely you should do that. And I think you know, if you know you want an international career, but you're just chasing some other interests, you're scratching some itches, you're finding some passions and, and figuring out what you're doing, or um, you're trying to make a buck because that's important. And maybe the opportunities on the international side won't pay as much, but um, you've got a job, you know, that does pay you something and that's helping you keep life together right now. Um, absolutely do all those things. And they will, in ways that you cannot predict now, help credential you for the future. 100%. Um, and 15, 20 years from now, you won't regret having done that for a second. But, and now I'm going to totally contradict myself, the best way to get your foot in the door is to get your foot in the door. Um, and so if you're doing other things, you may, you might be postponing a little bit getting your foot in the door. Um, and that I think in the long term is a trade-off worth making. Um, but I also remember being 20 something and being like, I know what I want to do. I know where I want to go. Thank you, old person, for your advice about like things that I'm going to appreciate 20 years from now. But I'm worried about getting my foot in the door because I know what I want to do. And if the best thing to do, if I want to do A, and, and I know I want to do A, and I'm nervous about never getting to do A, the best thing to do is do the most A-like thing you can do now. Um, because you know I've hired people, and especially hiring younger people, um, diversity of experience is fantastic, but sometimes especially right now, I work for, I, I am the full-time staff of my nonprofit. And then we do a lot, we, I manage teams of volunteers and I manage teams of part-time fellows. Um, often I'm looking for people, I don't have the bandwidth to like experiment with people who look, sound like they might have potential. Sometimes I have to just hire the most qualified person, um, which means like the person, even at a very young age who have somehow figured out how to work at a nonprofit before, and have some exposure to the national security field. And I'm not really proud of that because I want to be the type of organization that's like, we'll take anyone, we'll take the most interesting person. Um, but but that is a reality. So I my advice to you is do what you want to do now and trust that you will get there eventually. But I also feel like if you if you feel like you have to expedite, that's not going to be the way to expedite. I, I think um from my experience and, and from what I've seen, and again, mostly on the retail side and you know, accounting and investment banking, so take it for whatever it's worth. Um, the investment in people and in new graduates is really about passion and purpose. And I think Lindsay talked about that and, and everybody else talked about, try things out. I mean, you, know, you have the opportunity now, but I also think we're in a different world. And, and people can pivot throughout their careers. You don't have to be stuck on one path. And so I think if you if you try what you wanna do, if you're passionate about it, if you're excited about it, you're gonna learn something from it and you move on. And then you go, okay, I scratched that off. I think it was Francine that said, well, I tried the marketing thing. I realized, nope, that's not it. So moved on. I was the opposite. 
I tried the accounting thing. I became an auditor. Nope, that was not it. And I moved along to the other side, right? So I think, you know, you can check it all off. And as you grow, I mean, we're in a world where you can pivot and you just take your skill sets with you. And that's what you learn with the opportunities, internships or jobs. I, uh, I want to echo something Daniela said about the, the volunteering. So since this is an all-female panel, Madeleine Albright became the first Secretary of State because she was volunteering a lot in DC and she was supporting her husband at the time. It was a different time, sure, but she did a really great job. Like Lindsay mentioned earlier, like do grow where you're planted. She did a really great job volunteering and then she became the first female Secretary of State. So I think volunteer opportunities are underrated. And I think that if you are pursuing something for the purpose of a paycheck or just to get some life experience, there's no reason not to volunteer and still stay true to your passion in, in a different way. And I would also say that I've, I've, um, I've been a part of the interviewing process with a lot of young people. Something that you don't think of when you're in school all the time. And I went straight from undergrad to grad school, which I regret and I'm happy to talk to you guys all about that offline. But something that you don't know is that you just have to sit near these people normally uh, for eight hours a day. Like a lot of times they just wanna make sure that you're like a decent, cool person as well. So, so it is actually really helpful to have any kind of work experience because if you just have like three month internships, you don't really know if that person can hold down a job. So having any kind of working experience that just shows responsibility, shows that you can show up is actually really powerful when you're in school. Yes, thank you, Amanda. Um, and I know, Lindsay, you alluded to this um, and we're gonna kind of skip the COVID question. We can kind of go back to that, but I wanna, I wanna make sure um, before we get to our breakout rooms to talk about work-life balance. Um, because I think it's just really, really important to discuss it. And we can tie in uh, COVID too, because that most certainly is uh, an added pressure, if you will, in trying to balance all of our competing obligations. Um, so this is a question that I always ask um, at every single panel. And I always appreciate how uh, candid the panelists are in trying to describe the difficulty um, or at least the challenge of trying to juggle, um, again, like their work responsibilities and work obligations, and also just professional or personal kind of commitments. Um, and emphasizing perhaps that traveling and living abroad isn't always as glamorous um, or as, as television shows might depict it. So I wanna ask you all, how do you balance uh, your work obligations and your personal life. And if you want to tie in there, that self-care COVID um, element to it, that's fine too. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Um, yeah, this is a, a sage group of people. So I feel like I have a little bit of an advantage probably giving the weakest answer first. It's something that with the last name Wainuma, I don't usually get to go first. So I'm going to take advantage of it. Look, um, when it comes to balance, I, you know, honestly probably should replace this camera with a mirror and give myself this advice because I haven't done the best job of it. Um, but I will say that, you know, your, your health and your loved ones, um, they are perishable resources. It's so easy in this line of work uh, to be so caught up because it's so demanding and you're working across time zones. So you either wake up to eight hours. I've had it both ways, right? You wake up to eight hours of work 
on the other side of the Atlantic when you're in the US or you know, it's midnight wherever you are on this side of the Atlantic where I am in Europe and you know, people are still online. It's a really, really tough thing to do. Um, I would say that I've come to understand balance a little bit differently. Uh, you know, I used to think, okay, in this day, I didn't wake up and you know, eat all the right things and, and go to the gym and do everything. I think it's a more a long-term approach, right? There are times where you are gonna be on the road and you're gonna be throwing yourself into a project or in our case, we do disaster response. So an earthquake or something that's just very intensive, but giving yourself time to recharge. Um, I will tell you that I do regret not doing that, you know, over the past 15, 16 years of my career as much as I should have. And as you mentioned, you know, it's not always glamorous. I, you know, Jennifer Garner, when she was an alias, like she never got jet lag, right? So finding a way to take care of yourself. And again, you know, I, I don't want to be hypocritical. I, I should look in the mirror and say this, and I'm sure others have found a better balance. Um, but just knowing that balance doesn't look the same for everybody, um, but know where your priorities, the work will always be there. I think, you know, like I said, your loved ones and your health, those will not always be there, but the work is endless. And in the environment we work in now with COVID, it's kind of a, you know, do I live at work or, you know, work where I live, it's just it's never ending. So finding a way that works for you um, and that's not the same for everybody. So don't beat yourself up if, you know, you're jet lagged and you didn't wake up and, you know, do some kind of like facial mask and eat every nutrient. It's finding something where you can do what you love to do, maybe do it at a fast pace, maybe be on a plane, but then recover and replenish and have those times. You might miss a holiday, but you might make it back for the birthday. And that's how you find your own stride and, and just knowing that it'll be different for everyone. Well, I am with you, Francine. Well, uh, traveling and politics are, are my passion. So it's part of this package and I am very well with that. I don't regret with my travels and, and how I developed my career. I am a little bit workaholic and it's okay. So far it's fine because I don't have uh, kids, not yet, but it's because of that. It's not a big deal right now. So, no problem at all. <laughs> um, so I had my little work-life balance issue earlier with the screaming baby. Um, so there's a, a the um, Liz Sherwood Randall was the deputy secretary of energy in the Obama administration. Um, she's a sort of nuclear policy person, um, and she's an incredible mentor to just like gajillions of women. Um, and she. I've heard her say more than once that the most important choice that you will make in your life, especially on the work-life balance front, balance front is your choice of a partner. Um, and so if you find a partner, find the right partner um, and be picky <laughs> um, because that will really be outcome determinative um, of a lot of other things. Um, I, um, I got very lucky that I found a partner in my early 30s. Um, I kind of assumed like I never would because I figured I was like too weird and it wasn't going to happen. Um, but it did for me and I was very lucky because having kids was a really important thing to me for like just I knew for me that was going to be an important um, element of my life. And I joke that I became a statistic because I did what tons of women do, which is I quit the Marine Corps and I got married and I started having babies because I was in my mid 30s. And the Marine Corps was going to just the orders that I had were going to separate me and my husband for three years and like three flights. And it just wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work. 
um, at least from how I conceived of like what having kids and balancing Marine Corps career and being successful, I didn't think I could be successful under those circumstances. Um, it was, uh, it was not the hardest decision I've ever made because the decision, the, the right decision was very apparent to me, but it was the saddest decision I've ever made because I literally quit the career that I loved in order to marry the right person and start the family that I knew would be fulfilling for me in other ways and that I would regret not doing. Um, so, and I feel very fortunate that, you know, that I, that I at least had that option when I had it. So, um, so, you know, Anne-Marie Slaughter says, I don't know why I'm quoting all these amazing women, but, um, you know, she says like you, the, her whole, she wrote an Atlantic article a while ago, if you haven't read it, it it's an interesting piece. Um, and she basically says, women are told that they can have it all. They can have it all, but they cannot always have it all, all at the same time. Um, and so I had to, when I got married, I ended up following my husband to Canada for a couple of years um, and, you know, filled my time with fellowships. And for me, like, you know, my resume is not blank, but that's through some like creative use of resume years instead of months and um, and trying to argue that certain part-time adjunct affiliations were more fulfilling and more work-oriented than they were while I was having two kids and, and in Canada so that my husband's career could, he was in the Canadian military, he got to retirement at 20 years, then he quit. And now we're both in the same place at the same time. Now COVID realities have us splitting, we split the day, every waking hour that we have with our kids is scheduled as to whether we will spend it together or spend it apart, tag teaming work and tag teaming kids. Um, and it's a little bit exhausting, but it does, it works for us. Like that, that is, and everyone's gonna, that's not gonna work for everyone, that works for us. Um, and we end up spending very little time all together as a family, but we're keeping it all together. Um, and that's, you know, maybe a little sad, <laughs> um, but, uh, but we're doing what we can. And, um, and I think it's sustainable. And I think in COVID times, like having to be sustainable and not being yourself up if it doesn't look perfect is, I think, you know, you're winning if you're there. So I think I'm winning. <laughs> um, just sort of by way of background to give you a little bit of insight into my world. Um, Two boys, age 16, 13, husband, two cats and a dog. Um, we have moved all over the place. I've spent the bulk of my career for the last 15 years um, traveling globally 85 to 90% of the time. Um, I was able to control the travel, so they traveled with me. Um, it became our lifestyle. My husband is also multicultural and so um, to the point of a great partner, for sure. But I think most importantly, it's about knowing that you're not going to do everything perfectly in one day. You've got to choose your lane that day. Is it going to be work? Is it going to be family? Is it going to be your pets? Is it going to be you? Whatever it is, choose it. And that's what you're going to be awesome at that day. And the next day, maybe something totally different. But we have to come to the reality of you can't do it all. Um, you're going to miss a game. I just missed my son's first tennis match ever. And 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. I've ruined them. I don't know what's going to happen. Today, I'm like, he doesn't care. He remembers that he went to Turkey last year and it was the best trip of his life, right? Like it's balances and you just have to look at the big picture and not get cut off, caught up in the moment of it. And so that's what I would say is, 
is probably the most important. It's day to day, but big picture, if there are people looking at you, they're looking at you for what you're achieving, not what you missed. Uh, it's very not glamorous. Um, I, I, you know, I've been able to go to a lot of government receptions in different countries and go to the presidential palaces and, and you know, shake elbows with some like very important people. And then I've also eaten at um, airport restaurants alone a lot. And I've been, you know, FaceTiming friends on their birthday and missing my niece's birth. So there, there's some parts that aren't, aren't that, um, great. And I think actually, once you realize that sacrifice that's made, you can, you can find a job that's in international relations. It isn't 80% travel. I've had jobs where I'm either on the Amtrak or I'm on a flight, like that's my life. And it didn't work for me personally, but I'm still in an international uh, focused field. I'm just not doing that kind of travel. No one's really traveling that much with COVID, but luckily I found more of a balance. Right now I'm like 30, 40% in normal times and that works for me. And I've realized that I'm like, I feel lucky to have realized that at, at a younger age that I just, that's not um, compatible with, with my, um, with my needs in life. But I think that something that uh, Daniela mentioned and, and maybe, you know, Francine mentioned uh, was health. Huge, huge not to um, not to lose sight of your own sleeping tracks and, and eating proper, especially if you're moving around a lot. That's that's something where uh, it gets lost. And I think that I, I've seen um, a dad that was on a trip with me and we were in Brazil for the week and he went home for his kids uh, soccer game over the weekend. And then I just I just bopped over to Argentina. So I was, you know, in town for the weekend and having a blast, but he made that dedication to go home, came back to Argentina and the, but then had um, had some heart issues. He's fine, but just had a little bit of heart issues because he was taking care of his, his work and his family, but not himself. And I think that that's just a huge stress that, uh, that needs more attention is that in this kind of field, you need to make sure that you're eating proper and that you're exercising and that you're sleeping well. Very basic, but needed, you're like a baby. <laughs> Yes, but thank you for mentioning that, Amanda, because I think that sometimes, um, yeah, like those those very basic things, um, perhaps people don't realize how they can just get lost amidst really, really busy lives. Um, and it's still a very important thing to um, consider. With, with that said, it is 6.33, and as I had um, discussed at the outset of our conversation, uh, this would be the time in which I'm going to encourage um, our audience to enter into breakout rooms, but I wanna kind of preface this conversation for just a moment because I know that there are lingering questions um, that are lingering on the chat box. So let me say this, what's gonna happen is that each of our panelists are going to go into um, a breakout room. If you haven't experienced this before on Zoom, um, think of it like we're in a convention center and each of them are going into a separate room and you have the opportunity to go through that door, say hello. I promise they're not scary. They, they don't seem scary to me. Um, I think everybody seems quite personable. I think everybody's going to take your, um, your questions seriously and really give intentional thought 
to answering them. So I really encourage you, if you're um, a participant tonight, not to just bop off, but really use this time, just like all the panelists told you, use this time to make connections um, and, and ask further and individually. And with that said, what's gonna happen is they're gonna go into their rooms. So panelists, you guys can do that now, but I do wanna say uh, before you go, thank you all so, so much. Uh, for being here for tonight and for sharing your wisdom. It's just been a really, a really big pleasure uh, to hear from all of you all. So.